This is Grace, Grit, and Getting It Done, the podcast for women who want to focus on their personal development and their professional priorities, increase their earnings, expand their influence, and advance up the leadership ladder all the way into the C-suite. Hi, I'm your host, Lisa Gillette. My podcast, Grace, Grit, and Getting It Done, offers a practical guide for women working in the corporate arena. Weekly episodes feature conversations with recognized experts, authors, and influencers. I'm covering topics from navigating corporate culture and coping with gender bias to prioritizing self-care and managing work-life balance. For more information, or if you'd like to contact me, send an email to lisa at bigsky.coach. Confidence. We all want it, but how do we get it? How do we build confidence? How do we integrate it? How do we sustain that feeling of knowing we are confident? How can we magnetize it? Is there a common understanding of confidence we can all agree upon? Or does each individual need to define confidence and how to express it for themselves? And the even bigger question, If confidence comes from experience, then how can we as women feel confident when we're trying to do things we've never done before or doing things that are not typically accepted as appropriate behavior for women? My guest today is Sheena Yap Chan, and she literally wrote the book on this topic. Her recent bestseller is The Tao of Self-Confidence, offering a guide to moving beyond trauma and awakening the leader within. Sheena is a keynote speaker and award-winning podcaster and the co-author of Asian Women Who Boss Up. Sheena, welcome. Hey, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me here today. It's such an honor to be a guest on your show. It is truly my honor, and you have such an important message. So let's just dive in. I want you to define this term that is the model minority myth. Why is that so insidious? Why is it so pervasive? Yeah, I mean, thanks for such a great question. I mean, the model minority myth is something that we deal with, you know, on an on a daily basis, and people don't realize how much that affects us because, um, you know, the model minority myth is all about certain ter- certain stereotypes that Asian the Asian community faces. Right, we're seen as the model citizen. We're seen as quiet. We're seen as high achievers. We seen it. We're seen as unproblematic. We're seen as the better race compared to everyone else, or the model race compared to everyone else. And that really hurts us because, I mean, when you look at Asian culture or the Asian population, there, or if you look at Asia, there's like over 50 countries, different cultures, different languages, but yet we're still seen as a monolith. Um, and in the workplace, you know, we're just seen as hard workers and not in leadership roles. Uh, when it comes to school, we feel like we need to have straight A's or we're not seen as that, that high achiever. Um, and that, you know, also means having more mental health issues. Um, sometimes it can lead to suicide. I mean, there's so many things that can happen and really affect us. And then we also get pitted against other races, right? Thinking because we're the model citizen, um, we're being compared to other races within the country. So there's so many things that we deal with. Um, with this, with this one model minority myth, even just asking for help is seen like, well, you guys are successful. Why are you asking for help? So it's, yeah, it's such a crazy thing that, you know, one person decided to, um, say something about one Asian group, which became, um, a, a, a definition for all, um, you know, Asians in America and having these stereotypes isn't great, right? Because we're all very different. We all have different languages, different foods, just within the Asian culture. And so we have to learn to 
showcase different Asian cultures, showcase the different languages, the different um, traditions that we go through. Yeah, there is, it's so complicated and so layered. And so when we're talking about women who are Asian, there's that expectation of being high achievers, but there's also the societal norms and the cultural expectations of just, you know, don't raise your hand, don't ask, keep your head down, do your work, you will be recognized. And quite honestly, we know that is a big myth. So as a woman who is Asian, who has written the book, like I mentioned, on how to step into that empowering sense of self-confidence and a sense of self. How do you support women calling this myth out and managing this myth? Well, I think having conversations like this is very important. Having the book, The Tale of Self-Confidence, and having a chapter just on the model minority myth alone is important because these this, this isn't taught in school. Nobody talks about this. And so this is why having these open conversations is, is important. Even when I go uh, speak for different corporations, I talk about the model minority myth and how that affects us. And so just bring awareness to it, whether it's um, at a corporation or another form of media, uh, just always you know, talking about the different things and how it affects us and always trying to find ways to um, eliminate this, right? Bringing awareness is so important because a lot of people aren't aware of this. They still you know, we're still seen by those negative stereotypes, which really hurt us. And, um, you know, by being consistent and talking about it, that's how we can create the change, bring awareness, find different ways to eliminate it. And yeah, and keep moving forward. Normalize it and acknowledge it that it exists, right? Uh, I, I know for so many people, they are very, very concerned about I am not a racist, I am not a misogynist, I am not fill in the blank. And yet, if you've never experienced discrimination, it is really hard to spot it it and to understand it. So when we look at specifically Asian women, because that's what we're talking about right now, or quite honestly, any woman Mm -hmm. who is not white, Mm -hmm. there's the racist and the gender bias, the racism Mm -hmm. and the gender bias. So knowing there's that intersectionality, where do we or where do you see some of the bigger challenges? Are they internal? or external? Or is that even sort of a silly question? Because they're both challenges. Yeah, I think they're both challenges. You know, internally, we've been seen as one negative stereotype. We've been following the different, we've been following certain traditions that hurt us. Um, You know, and if you look at history, like women were always second class to men. So I mean, there's a lot. And then when you put in, you know, how society views us, especially how North America has viewed us, especially recently, you know, with the COVID-19 pandemic, I mean, we've become a target for anti-Asian hate and even more so Asian women because we're seen as quiet. We're seen as robots. We're seen as no emotions. So of course we get targeted easier, right? Um, if they target someone who's weaker, they will because they understand that they won't fight back like women and our elderly, right? I mean, just a couple of weeks or last week ago, you know, two Asian elderly was a attack again in San Francisco. One was like 86 and the other one's 88. And, you know, anyone who attacks an elderly, regardless of gender, or regardless of uh, uh, cultural background, I mean, it's just cowardly, right? Because we all know like, yeah, of course, you know, you can't beat up an elderly, right? Um, it's like, maybe one out of a hundred that they'll fight back, but not, especially in our culture, we're not taught to do that. We're not taught to fight back. We're just taught to stay quiet. And eventually if we stay quiet, the problem will go away, but the problem won't go away. In fact, the problem gets worse. And sometimes our silence is killing us. And this is why it's so important to step up, to speak out, 
even if it's scary, I understand it's not easy. I understand it can be scary, but if we don't do something, then it's the same cycle over and over again. Right. And you give some really practical strategies for doing that. One of the other things that I noticed in reading your book, because I read it over the weekend, and for anyone, any listener who is a book reader, uh, this is the book to get now, The Tao of Self-Confidence, which Sheena wrote. But one of the things you do that is so interesting is you actually do a survey of popular culture, movies, books, TV shows, and you speak about this archetype and how it's just so pervasive. So um, what made you decide to look at it from that angle? Because it's so enlightening. What, what was that aha moment where you said, here's how I'm going to approach this so people get it? I mean, I love watching like, you know, Netflix, listening to music. <laughs> I love Korean dramas. I mean, especially after the pandemic, it started with crash landing on you and kind of went downhill from there. Um, but especially K-dramas, like K-dramas are really great at storytelling and especially talking about a person's backstory as to why do they feel this way? Why, you know, what trauma is stopping them or what trauma is triggering them to be good or bad? Um, all that is really important. And then movies like the Joy Luck Club, you know, having this complicated mother-daughter relationship. I mean, I know it's not just, you know, Asian women who deal with it, but all women, right? We all have, you know, like this comp not complicated, like, you know, it's just comp it's not like always easy, right? <laughs> because, you know, we're seeing, you know, we're, you know, our mothers want us to be, you know, to wants to see us in a different light. Um, and so, I mean, I always knew like, if people will need to understand this, they need to understand it from things that they can relate to, which right. is entertainment, which is the media um, right. and being able to see that and kind of just like take it apart and figure it out and see why this would, you know, why someone wouldn't talk to each other or why communication was so hard or why this person's going through trauma. Um, and, you know, I, I think it was a really for me, I like, I see things that way too. I mean, I love watching a movie or a TV show and kind of just like really digging deep into that situation and be like, oh my God, like I can totally relate to that. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, of course, as people, you know, we, 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 um, we learn differently. So I do my best to try different things and put in different perspectives so that there's not just one way of doing things. There's different ways of doing things, different way of seeing things, different way of explaining things. And um, using media is important for, because for me, that's, that was the whole reason why I started doing what I'm doing because I never saw anybody in the media that looked like me. Um, it was really hard to accept myself. I was ashamed of being Asian for the longest time. Um, you know, I would look down on other Asian people because, uh, you know, they weren't from America or Canada. And so, you know, even looking back at that, I was like, oh my God, I was a horrible person thinking like that, but that's due to, you know, not having representation. So this is why um, I use that analogy. It's for people, so other people can relate to it in a different way as well. Yeah. You speak honestly to the generational trauma of one, the expectation that parents have of kids and also the expectations that some cultures have of other cultures. But I'm really curious to what was it that sparked you to go? I have a solution to this really serious problem and I'm going to start speaking about it. I'm going to start sharing my solutions. What was that aha moment you had? I think it's just learning about my own family's um, traumas and their stories. And it's not always easy to pick up stories from them because, yeah. you know, for so long, they, they never want to share anything, right? There's still things that my grandma is still keeping to herself that she will take um, to her grave, right? And I realized 
just some of her mannerisms is something that I've done as well. And it's like, sometimes it can skip a generation. Sometimes it can be passed on to the next generation, but if we're not open, you know, if we're not aware about these things and it's the same thing over and over again. And I realized in order for us to move forward and be the leaders that we're meant to be, we need to bring aware, you know, some of the things that that's been passed on from century to century or generation to generation and learning to break that cycle. And the first step to doing that is bringing awareness and being able to bring awareness to this, to this, you know, huge topic. Um, you know, I've had readers who told me that they're having difficult conversations with their family members, with their kids. And yeah, these conversations are not easy. Of course, if it was, everyone was doing it, but the fact that they're able to do it, that means they're on the right track to finding a solution and moving on and having better communication, having more confidence, being able to show up as their authentic self. Because for so long, I felt like I needed to be one thing and that one thing only. And if I go anything, if I do anything outside of that one thing, I was considered, you know, crazy. I was too shameful. How dare or shameless, you know, how dare I do that? And so um, I know intergenerational trauma is really big in our community just because we've been taught the same thing over and over again. And especially Asian women, right? If you look at in history, just in different parts of Asia, um, you know, men can have multiple wives. Some men have child marriages. Um, in India, if you're a widow, you're considered an outcast of the family. Um, if, um, you know, if you're 25 and over and single in China, you're considered a leftover and that's the term they use. And even in Japan, it's, it's Christmas, it's called Christmas cake because after Christmas, like Christmas cake is still leftovers, right? So all these different things and just like, um, how women are treated in different parts of Asia, right? Um, you know, not having respect, seeing as second class to men. And this is still stuff that still happens today, right? Uh, of course, there's progress that's been made, but I mean, we still have a long way to go. <laughs> right, which is what I think is getting us both out of bed every morning. You talked a little bit about shame, but I want to ask you directly about uh, something I read in your book, which is you want to be able to release the guilt that women have so that they oh, yeah. can reach their full potential. Talk to that because that is the heart of your work. And that is critical. I mean, I mean, you know, one thing we've never been taught was to set boundaries. And so we've always been told to please everybody else except for ourselves. And you know what happens? We get burnt out. We feel like we always have to, you know, keep pleasing others. We are going to, you know, all our energy is wasted on trying to please other people. And then we forget to take care of ourselves. And then if we don't, you know, if we learn to say no to the things that don't serve us, then that guilt happens, right? Especially Asian parent guilt is the worst guilt you'll ever feel. You know, Um, they make it seem like, you know, if you don't do this, like you're the worst child in the world, how dare you do that? And then of course it gets to you, right? Um, And then you, you have, you feel like you have no other choice but to do it because if not, it's like you're seen as this unreasonable person. And that that took me a while to work on and say, no, no, no. And it wasn't a walk in the park. Um, of course, there's always tension, right? And it's not like, you know, my parents, me and my parents don't talk to each other. I mean, I love my parents. We've been able to, um, you know, work to work through different things. And I've learned to just say no to certain things. I just, it's like a non-negotiable, right? Um, And because I was able to do that, I am able to uh, move faster, you know, have this power that I was able to take back. And it's not easy. It's not easy sometimes to set boundaries, especially for Asian women, because if we say no, 
and we're difficult, you know, we're too much or people are not going to like us. And yeah, I still feel bad sometimes. Right. But I, but then I also realized I feel so much better not realizing like I have to do this because I'm a nice person and I should help people out. But sometimes when we do that, it's actually coddling them and it's not helping them as well. So sometimes, you know, we have to find that, whatever that balance looks like, we just have to find it. We give ourselves permission to find it. And that's one of the things that you speak about in your book is, and it's, and you take it so far beyond just the giving permission. It's really stepping in to your humanity, your power and your ability to lead. Um, this is a question I love to ask everyone I interview, which is if you could give your younger self some guidance, some words of advice, what would you say to your younger self? that 19 or 18 year old girl? I think um, learning to tell her she's beautiful just the way she is because <laughs> I mean, even at 19, I was still ashamed of my own culture. Um, being able to ask for help because culturally we've been told that asking for help is a sign of weakness. And again, it's shameful. So, um, and I think we, you know, as women, we need to support each other. We need to help each other out. So being able to ask for help, knowing that you don't have to do everything yourself because men collaborate all the time. Why can't women, right? But right. society has ingrained that we have to be the superwoman that has to do it all. And really that doesn't help us, right? I mean, it it brings us down. We get exhausted. We feel like we always have to keep going. We can't rest. We can't find time for ourselves. And it doesn't help sometimes when you have these so-called, you know, gurus who tell you, you have to hustle 24 hours a day. It's like, as women, we do hustle 24 hours a day. And it's not just on our work. It's actually on household chores, running errands, taking care of the kids, meal planning, getting them a bath, taking, putting them to bed. I mean, there's so many things we have to do on, and, you know, even taking care of other family members. So when I hear stuff like that, it's like, as a man, you don't know what a woman goes through because women go through a lot, right? I mean, we don't have the luxury to work 12 hours a day in our business. Imagine if we could, how much we could achieve, right? Exactly. But, exactly. but because we have so many things we have to do in between that, like sometimes it's difficult. And, you know, I want women to realize, like, don't listen to those people who tell you, like, if you don't hustle 12 hours a day, you, something's wrong with you. Nothing's wrong with you. If you have 30 minutes and you have 30 minutes and be great, and, and that's it. You know, you just, you just work on that solid 30 minutes and then move forward because not all of us can afford that time, especially if you have kids, you know, uh, if you don't have a nanny, I mean, of course it's exhausting. Like taking care of one kid is already a lot of work. Imagine like three or four kids, right? Um, it's a lot of work, you know, and then taking care of your family members because, you know, like, especially if your parents are older, exactly. like there's so many different factors. Right. And I just want women to feel like, you know, don't, you know, just, just be grateful um, you know, with what you have, be grateful for your time. Don't feel bad that you only have half an hour or an hour, you know, just, just, just use whatever you have at that moment in time. Yeah. One of the things that you pointed to in your book, and I use this so much, not only with myself, but with everybody I talk to, would you say that to your best friend? And you yeah, about treating yourself like your best friend and it's the most practical piece of advice that is so solution focused um why do you think it is uh, this is kind of the question that's the the big question that i don't think there's one answer to but why do you think it is that women tend to be so hard on ourselves as individuals and yet we you know are giving 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 to our loved ones to our colleagues uh to our employers 
but we can't seem to give ourselves that same sense of compassion. What, what in your opinion is underlying that? To be honest, I think it's probably like years of like, not only intergenerational trauma, but historical trauma. I mean, as women, we were always seen as the caretakers. We're natural born caretakers. Um, You know, we've always been the one to just take care of everything in the background and never complain about anything. And so now that we're making some noise, it's like, oh, why are you complaining now? You've been doing it for centuries. Like, what's the problem? (laughs) Right? What changed? What changed? Yeah, <laughs> we finally got wise to it. We're like, no more. Yeah. And, you know, now we're like, wait a second. Why are we doing this? Why? Like, we never question some of the things that we do, right? Even certain traditions. And like, even if we do ask, it's like, because it's tradition, but like, that's not a good reason. Like, there has to be a hidden, re- like an underlying reason for the things that we do. We do like, the things, you know, like the traditions that we follow. And so for me, sometimes I look at this, a certain tradition and I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that. That doesn't make sense. Like back in the day, Chinese women um, had their feet binded as a sign of status and mm-hmm. um, to know that they're married. And I didn't even know that my great grandmother had her feet bi- binded. I just found out earlier this year, like, can you imagine how painful that is? Um, and it's, and it's, you know, that was seen as like a beauty status to have your feet binded. So of course, I mean, now nobody does that, of course, but like, I would never do that. Right. Because I know better now, but maybe back then in, in my great grandmother's time, I probably would have done it because I didn't know any better as well. Um, and nobody understood why that was, you know, why we did that or why, you know, why is it that, you know, in Asian culture, um, what's really prevalent is having a, an eyelid surgery, right? Because some, right. some of, some of us don't have that. And if we want like a Western, more Western look, we have the eyelids. So it makes our eyes a little, look a little bit bigger than looking tinier, but people don't realize why did we do that? You know, it stemmed from one man who said that it's more attractive if women did that. (laughs) This is uh, such a big topic. And, and seeing as you introduced it, I do want to dive into it a little bit more. There are such unnatural expectations of how women should show up that just don't seem to apply to men. Mm-hmm. And so much of that is ingrained to us unconsciously and consciously. So if we're, cause I know we both espouse this, trying to treat ourselves like our own best friend, encouraging other women to do the same, to show self-compassion and create self-awareness, not self-consciousness. How do you help women navigate through that kind of unconscious knee-jerk reaction of, oh my gosh, if I ask for a higher salary, someone may not like me. Or if my kids don't have like the perfect grades, I'm going to be seen as a mother who's not good. How do you talk to your listeners, your clients, and help them navigate past that sort of knee-jerk reaction? I think, I mean, each each person's a different case, of course, right? But sometimes we just have to do things that are necessary to, you know, break these molds, right? Like um, I was talking to a friend who, you know, she decided to reach out to, you know, her boss that's like two levels above her, right? Mm-hmm. To just have coffee, right? Mm-hmm. Just like to meet because he said yes. Um, and a lot of people in her, in her, um, you know, a lot of people in her, um, you know, work were like, oh, maybe you shouldn't do it you know, maybe you shouldn't do it. And I was like, just do it. You already made the appointment. If you back out, it's going to look bad. Just do it. 
And so I'm glad she did it and she felt so much better. But these are common things that happen. And, you know, the 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 biggest, you know, um, sometimes the biggest disappointment is actually from other women telling us not to do it. And I mean, that could be a whole other conversation, but we're also part of the problem and people don't realize that. Correct. Correct. Uh, I think Matt, I say this so much, but Madeline Albright said there's a special place in hell for women who don't support other women. Um, Yeah, we could have a whole conversation (laughs) on queen bee syndrome and all of that. But I do want to talk to you specifically about your podcast and your book and you've over you've interviewed so many women who have overcome systemic challenges and personal challenges and so where where do you find that inspiration where where you know okay this is a different difficult environment i'm coming into i'm going to be seen a certain way be because of my gender because of my skin color um how do you navigate that and how do you share with your listeners some strategies about how to just I guess it's a mindset reset. Yeah, I think it's really learning from other people's stories, like being able to interview so many stories. It gives me the confidence to keep moving. It makes me, I can relate to all those women because I went through what they went through um, and realize like if they went through bankruptcy, cancer, and are still thriving, like, you know, I can go out there and do it. They've been through worse and yet they're still standing so and thriving. So if they can do it, I can do it as well. And, um, you know, just, yeah, being able to work on yourself, being able to unlearn some of the things that we've gone through. I mean, work mindset is really important. And this is why, um, this book is totally different from other leadership books, right? Mm-hmm. Um, nothing against them, but some of them are just very rigid manuals and it's like, yeah, that's great. You're giving me the how to, but we need to f- set the foundation. We need to work on ourselves. We need to dig deep and figure what is really holding us back from moving forward. Is it a, tra- a traumatic experience in our life, um, in our childhood? Is it uh, something that our ancestors are carrying or something that our parents or grandparents has passed on to us? So there's so many different things. And sometimes we're not even aware of that trauma. And so, um, and especially in Asian culture, we just learn to ignore it and think, it would go away. And sometimes it does, but it does creep up from time to time thinking like, why is this showing up? You know, why do we need to talk about this? You know, and everything happens for a reason. So um, yeah, for me, working on yourself is really important. Um, Surrounding yourself with like-minded people is really important. Listening to other people's biographies or interviews, because especially in social media, there's always a lot of misconception. You know, you see all the perfectly curated photos on Instagram and they think you think they have a perfect life, not realizing you don't even know what's going behind closed doors. And I'm not saying this is for everybody, but there's some out there who are, you know, in total debt because they're trying to keep up with this Instagram life. Um, Some of them are doing things that you probably would never want to do in your life ever, like ever, right. To make easy money. Um, and, you know, it's just like going against your morals and, you know, and, and some people do it because it's the fastest way to make money. Not, you know, not saying it's right or wrong, but I think it comes with a lot of repercussions in the long run. Um, or some of them, it's just, it's fake, (laughs) right? Some of them, it's not real. So I, you know, sometimes you see things surface and I'm, I'm guilty of it too. Sometimes I look at them like, oh man, they have it all figured out. I'm still here trying to figure out what, what to do right? Not realizing, you know, the big truth is everyone's just trying to figure things out. You know, that's the biggest, that's the biggest truth I can tell somebody right now who's listening. Like even those big celebrities or influencers or gurus, 
they're all figuring it out as they go along. The only difference is that they're just taking action. Like you look at, you look at someone like Elon Musk, that guy is literally trying to figure things out. Like he went from Twitter. Now it's X, you know, I mean, he's literally just figuring out. He's like, okay, now I'm going to do this. Oh, now you can only have a cap of how many tweets. Oh, now you have to pay to be verified. But like, he's just going out there and putting things out, right? Like you, you may like him or hate him, but he's just going out there doing it. Right. Uh, and I know it's easier for men than women, but as women, if we just go out there and, you know, apply the same thing, make mistakes, course, correct along the way, imagine how much we can accomplish. Right. That's one thing uh, you talk about in your book too, is that when there's an intentionality there and an understanding of, if I take this action, it's going to have a positive impact and letting that drive the action, taking inspired action. It may not turn out exactly how we plan or we think it should, but it's that repeated action that builds the confidence to take the next step. And uh, yeah, I think women tend to be less reactive. You use Musk as an example. He's very reactive right now, just kind of throwing it at the wall to see if it sticks. Yeah. And I think most women, we want to plan it all out. We want to know exactly what steps we're taking. And we don't always have that option. And you also point to something that I think is really very, very true is that we're not comfortable asking for help. Yeah. You know, it's just, and that's one of the things I think that you really point to in the book is reach out for help, whether it's mental health, whether it's childcare, whatever, reach out for help. There is nothing wrong with asking for help. So I just want to talk briefly about how people can reach out to you and get your book. I know you have a very large presence on LinkedIn. (laughs) And and I saw something, I saw something you just written on LinkedIn that was really, can you just talk about um, your daily work, like how you're sharing information and, and what kind of, uh, I'll just use the word guidance because it is, because let's just acknowledge you are a role model. Oh, thank you. Not only for Asian women (laughs) and not only for women in leadership roles, for women of all colors who want to create self-awareness and reach their potential. So how can one, how can people find you on LinkedIn? Just share that and then share some of the projects you're working on right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, So people can search me on LinkedIn. It's Sheena Yapchan. I'm literally the only Sheena Yapchan on the internet. So (laughs) you can find all the content that I share there, inspiration, um, just talking about my authentic self, um, talking about the book. Uh, You can get a copy of the book on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Indigo, um, a lot of the major book retailers. So it's really cool to see that. In fact, someone sent me a photo of my book being displayed in a bookstore in Singapore under the leadership section. So that's really amazing. Awesome. 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 Yeah. Um, other than that, they can go to my website, sheenayapchan.com. Uh, there's also a free quiz that they can take that can unlock their confidence personality. Oh, I highly, I took the free quiz and I highly, highly recommend that to listeners. Um, you know, it's, it's a really simple thing to do, but it is so, I love the fact that you put that there because that's, this is a big issue. There's so many books written about how to be more confident and, Many times as women, if we follow the advice given to men in all these leadership books, we do ourselves a disservice, Mm -hmm. really do, because one, it's not authentic to ourselves, and two, it's considered somewhat male behavior, 
and we're judged for that. So we have to be aware of the influence and impact we have on others. But your confidence quiz to all listeners, go to Sheena's, SheenaYapChan.com. Take the quiz. It's really enlightening. I know you do a lot of speaking. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious as to what are some of the questions that you get from every audience? I think it's a lot about really confidence and ways to build it, um, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Or I get a lot like, how do you know if you're promoting yourself too much? And um, I'm always like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you know, okay. I my indicator is if you're not sick of looking at your face on social media, then you're not doing enough. And I say that because, you know, when it comes to marketing, especially if you have a product or business that, or service that you're promoting um, before social media, someone needs to see your product at least seven times before they make a buying decision. Right. But now with TikTok, Instagram, all these social media, it's at least 20 something times over like 25 times. So yeah, you know, putting it just once a week is not going to cut it. Right. And don't worry what other people say. Like if you're too much or too extra, you're too ambitious. If you have something that's going to create a positive impact on someone, then just go ahead and do it. So when people ask me how many times is too much, I I don't give them a number because I don't know. Right. I don't, I honestly don't know. I mean, you look at the Barbie campaign, like it was literally in your face for like oh God, months, for like six months, you know, like in your face and look how much, look, look how well it's doing. Right. Because everyone wants, you know, it's nostalgia, the color pink, all these brands want to collaborate with them. Even Xbox, you can buy a Barbie Xbox, but you look at them and look, they're, they're in your faces and look how it's helped them. Right. It's right. The highest grossing movie from a female, um, per, female director. Um, so yeah, you know, don't be afraid, just put yourself out there. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the things as women, um, there, because of that fear of, oh my gosh, what if I'm seen as aggressive or I won't be liked and all that, that's the socialization. Um, one of the things that I think is really important about the work you're doing is that you are very clear about the intentionality and for any woman or man, when you get really clear about why am I doing this? Am I doing this to make things better? If the answer is yes go for it. Rinse, wash, repeat. Um, what are some of the things that are coming up for you in the near future? Are you um, speaking at anything, at any conferences or doing any virtual workshops that you'd like to share that people can dial in and listen to you? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, well, the podcast will be coming up in September, so I'll have new episodes of that. So be sure to subscribe so you can get you know the um, episodes right on your phone. Um, so that's coming in the first week of September. Um, other than that, I'll be in Vegas for a conference. Um, and then, um, yeah, just some different things here and there. You know, I don't really plan ahead. <laughs> I take it one step at a time. But they can feel free to follow me on LinkedIn or any other social media. Um, it's all, you know, if they look up Sheena Yapchan, it's all there. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so bonus question. We haven't really touched on this topic. We've circled it. Um, we know about that little voice in our head that's so self-judgmental and uh, Carl Jung referred to it as the inner critic, but there's a subset of the inner critic known as imposter syndrome. And this is something we see much more prevalent among women than men. Mm-hmm. And um, how, what would you suggest to anyone who's got a really raging voice that is imposter syndrome of, oh my gosh, I didn't deserve that accolade. I didn't deserve that compliment. I didn't deserve that promotion or that raise. I'm going to be discovered for 
not being uh, really a leader or fill in the blank, I'm a fraud. How do you coach around that? Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, I still go through imposter syndrome every day, but I look back and I think of, you know, what's my purpose, right? Um, And, you know, sometimes we have to look back way back, even into our childhood to see why do we feel that way, right? Did a teacher tell us not to be too much? Did our parents tell us not to be too much? And so if we get to the root cause, sometimes that can help us as well and realize like, you know, our brain put our, also our brain likes to protect us from something horrific that bat, that happens to us. So, so, you know, that could be another reason. So you have to look back and tell your brain, like, I get that you want to protect me and I'm really grateful for that, but something that happened 10 years ago is not going to happen today. Things are different. Um, and so we have to also bring awareness to that, um, and realize we can go out there and make it happen. And then you can also look at, you know, the past things that you've done that makes you a badass, right? Uh, what are some of the highest achievements that you have? You can even write like a badass list, right? And figure out um, what are some of those amazing, the most amazing things you've done and being able to see that you're like, oh, I'm not an imposter. I'm awesome. Right. And, or sometimes yeah. we can take that imposter syndrome and use it for good. Right. Sometimes that just creeps up because we're, we're doing something different or uncomfortable. It's kind of like fear when fear creeps up. It's like, this is a sign for you to move forward. Keep this going. is a sign for you to level up. And um, you can use it that way as well. So it doesn't always have to be a bad thing. It could also be a good thing. Yeah, it is. You speak to a really important uh, point that many of us forget is the inner critic and specifically imposter syndrome is part of our survival instinct to keep it safe, right? Yeah. So there's that question of, oh, whose voice was that? Where did I hear that? And how true is that? And, And you really speak to that in your book, which which I so appreciated. For listeners, it's the Tao of self-confidence. And it's not just for Asian women. It's actually for any group of people that is not part of the white male patriarchy, quite honestly. For any any group of people who is not in the so-called driver's seat, stop raising your hand, just start raising your voice, start speaking up. You have a message. Sheena, what is the one message you want to leave with my viewers today for Grace Grit and getting it done. And they're primarily women working in the corporate arena who want to advance in their careers so they can create the change that makes the difference so needed at that this time. What message would you like to leave, leave with them? I think it's just really learning to take it one step at a time. You know, we don't always have to make big strides, big leaps. Um, sometimes it's just taking it one step at a time. Rome wasn't built in a day, so don't expect yourself to you know, make big changes right away. Just, you know, because this is actually the small actionable, actionable daily steps that yield the big results. Absolutely. I'm so pleased you were my guest today. For listeners, reach out to Sheena. It's Sheena Yap Chan on LinkedIn. You can get to her website. You can buy her Thanks book. for listening to Grace, the Grit, and it's Getting It Done. Not a dry I'm your host. Read. It's actually very entertaining. And the dive into popular culture and the way that we view ourselves and others has predicated by popular culture. It is just so revealing. Highly, highly recommend it. Sheena, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been such a blast um, chatting with you today, Lisa. (laughs) Totally my honor. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Grace, Grit, and Getting It Done. I'm your host, Lisa Gillette. If you'd like more information or to contact me directly, send me an email, lisa at bigsky, B-I-G-S-K-Y dot coach. Lisa at bigsky, 
www.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach.coach